I would like to say that the reason that I was so thin when I was pregnant with twins is because I threw up like 16 times a day. So there's a price to be paid. Uh, but thank you for being here tonight. And my name is Di, short for Diana. Don't call me Diana. It's too formal. And we can be friends. Uh, I am married to Brandon, and together we pastor Canyon Creek Church in Mill Creek, Washington. And we have three kids. Uh, we have a senior in college. Her name is Rachel. And then we have twin boys, as Devette mentioned. And I could tell you all kinds of stories. Um, but Devette and Pastor Jared are very dear friends of ours, and they still are. And uh, so close of friends that she's folded my underwear. So that tells you. <laughs> If somebody's folded your underwear, you're close. <laughs> I could tell you about all of the hobbies that I have and all the things I love to do, but can I just say what I love to do most is, is chase Jesus. And I just want to chase him tonight, and I hope that that spills out on you, and you want to chase him tonight, and together we'll chase Jesus, and he'll be found by us because he's not hiding. He wants to be found by you. And so I hope you'll agree with me that Jesus wants to be found by us. And I left my family and I left my home church because I believe that God wants to interrupt your life tonight. I believe that he wants you to collide with him and his power and his presence and his spirit. And so I'm excited to see where he will go with us. But I wanna ask you, will you be open? Will you be open tonight? Will you be willing to receive what God has for you, what he wants to do in you, even if it's a little scary, even if it's something deep, even if it costs you something, would you be willing to receive what he has for you tonight? On, uh, as I was thinking about the, uh, the topic, um, this conference being called Collide, I was so excited about that title. And so um, I looked up the word collide, and you may, it might be kind of obvious, but I'm gonna read you the definition. To hit with force while moving, okay? So to hit with force while moving. And I nearly experienced this this morning on the way to the airport. <laughs> to hit with force while moving. Except I was the one that was going to be hit with force. Uh, and so, I don't, you guys have toll lanes here. So we have these things called the express toll lanes. And they're these lanes with the double white line. And so you can't get in or out of those lanes unless there's an entrance or an exit. And so once you're in them, you should be safe in them because nobody's coming in because that's illegal. So I was in the express toll lanes this morning on the way to the airport and uh, somebody came flying across multiple lanes and like they didn't even see other cars and nearly ran me off the road. And so I nearly experienced collide, being hit with force while moving. I'm grateful that I didn't. But it made me think Sometimes a collision requires something to come into your lane. And I nearly had, I mean, I had someone come in my lane. But sometimes a collision means there's something coming at you and you don't even have time to react. Uh, I had a, another near collide incident and that was in the airport. And maybe you've experienced something like this where a whole massive horde of people are trying to funnel into one small doorway, like to get on a plane. <laughs> and I don't know why everyone feels the need to hurry to go and sit in the plane longer, but everyone is shoving to try and get in first. So I'm standing in line with the whole horde of people waiting to get on the plane, 
And again, a woman, I see her out of my peripheral, and maybe you've seen this too, where they're, they're, you better get out of the way because she's coming straight for my spot, and I'm not in that big of a hurry to get on the plane. So I see her coming, and I see she's going to run me out of the walkway. And so I just did this little, like, clearly you're in a hurry. But that was also almost a near collide. Someone was coming into my space. And then I was thinking another example of colliding. And uh, the first thing that popped in my head, actually, was my son Judah, who is a drummer. And Judah's a drummer. He also plays on a percussion team. And so last year, his job was cymbals, okay? You know, and so he would bring these home and practice at home. <laughs> Aren't you jealous? And so Judah would bring these cymbals home, and these two moving things are hitting each other with force. And there is, it's not always quiet when there's some kind of a collision. And so I got to thinking how a collision is when something can come into your lane, and you, you might not even know it's coming, or a collision sometimes involves coming into your space, and a collision doesn't always have to be quiet. In fact, often it's not. And so as I think about all of you in this room who I don't know all of you, but I know you're here for a reason, and I'm going to say out loud what I believe to be true, and that is that you are here because you desire to collide with God, because you desire something more from him, because you desire to know him more. And that's what we just sang, because you desire to know the reckless love of God, because you desire that to undo you somehow. And that is why you are here. And my hope is that you'll take a step towards God tonight. You know, the book of James says that if we will draw near to God, he'll draw near to us. He's faithful. If we'll draw close, he'll draw closer. And so tonight, as I was thinking about you and I was thinking about the scriptures that God was putting on my heart to share, and we're going to look at the book of Acts. And the book of Acts is crazy stories of right after Jesus' ministry on earth. And it's crazy stories about the explosion of the gospel and the apostles like Peter and Paul and the miracles that they saw and that they were, they were used to perform. And I thought, my hope is this will spark something in you, but not just for you, for you to take and to do something with. See, what God wants to do in you tonight is not just for tonight. It's for tomorrow and it's for your family and it's for your workplace and it's for your church and it's for your neighborhood and it's for outside of these walls. And so I want to say to you that you are on a collision course with God's power tonight. I'm going to read from the book of Acts, and I'll read a couple of scriptures from Acts, but I want to read this as kind of our, our point of origin. And if you have a Bible, you can turn with me. If not, you'll have verses on the screen to follow along. But this is Acts chapter 1, verse 8, and it's red writing, which means this is Jesus talking here. And this is after his crucifixion, after his resurrection, and before he ascends into heaven, he's giving his final instructions to his followers, and this is what he finds most important to say. He says, but you will receive power. You'll receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you'll be my witnesses telling people about me everywhere. See, he was telling them there's about to be a collision. My power is going to, it's going to invade your lane. It's coming right at you. And, and I'm warning you, but you're still probably not even going to see it coming. And it's going to invade your space. And it might not be quiet, but it's for a purpose. It is, it is this power that comes with a purpose that you don't just contain it for yourself, but that you share it with everyone. 
I think a lot of times we are uncomfortable with what's unfamiliar. And so I'm gonna, I'm gonna ask again the questions that I started with. And I would like to say, and I, in fact, I'm gonna ask you to just bow your heads. <clears throat> are you open to what God would desire to do in your life tonight? Are you open? You don't have to raise your hand. I just want you to check your heart right now. Are you open? Are you willing to receive what he would want to deposit inside of you, inside of your spirit, and not just to be kept by you, but to be shared with others? And if you're willing, I'm gonna ask you to put yourself in a posture that shows that you're willing to receive that. It doesn't have to be anything dramatic, but we should just put yourself in a posture. Maybe that's your hands over your heart. Maybe it's standing, maybe it's bowing your head. Maybe it's hands raised, whatever it is, would you just put yourself in a posture and I'm gonna ask that God would join us. Let's pray. God, it is in this posture that we say we have nothing in and of ourselves to offer a world that is hurting. We have nothing to give that comes from us, but we have everything to give that comes from you. So it's already been prayed for, it's already been asked. Uh, many have already sought you on behalf of those who would be in this room tonight, but we corporately say, God, would you have free reign to move in us tonight? Would you have free reign to move in our hearts and to move in our lives and to move in our families? And those things that have been kind of deemed by us untouchable, would you put your finger on them? And Holy Spirit, would you say that? I want that, I want you to give that up. And as we are obedient, God, as we take a step towards you, would you send your Holy Spirit in power to meet us on a collision course to be changed in order to be your witnesses. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Tonight, I am going to use a famous man from the secular world to illustrate something spiritual. And I'm going to go hunting for props here. And so we're going to look at this man that you for sure know. His name is Thomas Edison. Now, this is a man who determined at some point in his life, there has to be more. This is a man who determined at some point in his life that he was willing to move from what was known to what was unknown, and maybe from what was comfortable to what was uncomfortable. If it wasn't for his constant drive and his belief that there has to be more, we wouldn't even be able to see right now. And so, of course, Thomas Edison is probably one of the greatest inventors in our history. He was actually awarded 1,368 patents. Impress somebody with that trivia at some point. Uh, but his greatest contribution to our world as we know it was electric lights, and before Edison, no electric lights existed. Instead, there was darkness. And so instead, there were candles. This was a time when all you had for light was this. This stinks. <laughs> this 
is really insufficient, I think you would probably agree. And I don't care if you have 50 of these and you put them all around, unless it's a storm and the power is out, it really is very insufficient. I also, Trey, have old eyes. And so being able to see (laughs) by candlelight is nearly impossible. And so somebody thought that that was insufficient. And so somebody thought that a candle was not going to be enough, and so somebody determined that what we needed was this. And this will be the question is if I can actually light it. Oh, look at that. Hold on, hold on, let me make it safe. Okay, safe, safe, good. (laughs) So we have this, which was insufficient, and then we have A lamp, an oil lamp. This is much nicer than they would have had in those days. I'm sure you'll agree. This smells like camping. This also is fairly insufficient. And I want you to be as tired of your current condition spiritually as Thomas Edison was of this as the form of light. He was sick of candle wax. He was sick of burning his fingers on the glass of the oil lamp. And at some point, he determined there has to be more. And so with that determination, let me just tell you a little bit about the guy's story. Thomas Edison went to school for three months. That's all. He was deemed to be unteachable by his teacher. And so his mother, who of course, thank goodness, did not give up on him, decided that she would be the one to teach him reading, writing, and arithmetic. By age 15, Thomas Edison had his own laboratory that he built himself. And by 16, he was writing scientific periodicals. He studied anything that had to do with science or experiments or lab work, and he knew that there had to be more. In fact, what he knew specifically for our purposes tonight is that there had to be more than this, and there had to be more than this. Now, the world was probably wondering if they knew what he was thinking. Why? We've lived like this for years. What's wrong with the candle? I mean, what's wrong with the oil lamp? What do you have against oil, for Pete's sake? Why do you think that there has to be something more? And my question for you, my second question would be, who are you most like tonight, right now, as you sit in your seat? Are you most like the majority who think things are fine the way they are? Or are you sort of like Thomas Edison who starts to feel like there has to be more than this? And so Thomas Edison began to invent things. He had 60 employees, the guy that went to school for three months. They worked around the clock. They were at all times working on at least 20 projects, and they applied for 400 patents every year. And in his frustration with this, and his frustration with this, he came up with an idea for an electric light. I'm not gonna blind you, and I'm not gonna turn it on quite yet. And maybe this is a little bit beyond what Thomas Edison actually had. But he began this invention process. In fact, and maybe you know this story, he went out and in trying to build an electric light, he failed 
1,000 times. He tried 1,000 different ways to put a filament inside of a glass bulb, and not one of them worked. So he was a failure, except that he didn't give up. He was sick of this, and he was sick of this. And he was convinced that if he would keep working, he could come up with one of these. I don't want to blind anybody. But this, I'll just do it really quick across your eyes. That is significantly better than anything Thomas Edison could come up with. And I want you to know that within months of him creating the light bulb, all of New York City was lit up with Edison bulbs. Let me save your eyes. Okay, good. All of New York City. And somebody asked him at one point, hey, what was it like to fail so many times trying to build this light bulb? And Edison said, I never failed. I just discovered 1,000 ways to not make a light bulb. <laughs> he knew that there had to be more. And I'm here tonight to tell you that there has to be more. In fact, not only that there has to be more, there is more for you. And you and I, we can settle for this or we can settle for this and maybe your spiritual life is quite dim right now and you can live at this state or you can live in the state where everything is lit up and God's light is shining in and through you because there's more for you. And wherever you're at in your journey of Jesus, there's still more for you from that point as well. And so over the next couple of minutes, I thought that I would use uh, some levels for you. And so I'm going to give you some, some levels, some spiritual levels that you might find yourself on tonight. And what I want you to do is just listen to these levels and try and determine which one may represent where you are tonight, because the goal is that we don't stay at that level, but we move to the next one. Okay, you with me? So we're going to start with level number one. Level number one is the level of sinfulness. Now, at any given time when a group of people gather together, I don't want to just assume that everybody in the room knows Jesus. And so there is likely somebody or more than one somebody who is in this room right now who can hear my voice, who's been in this room while people have been singing and talking about the goodness and the love of God, but you maybe have never known God or his love for yourself. Maybe a sinful lifestyle is what you know and what you're familiar with. And I'm here to say that God never intended for you to live a life at the sinful lifestyle where addiction to alcohol or drugs or pornography or sex or a lack of purpose is what he intended for your life. He didn't intend for you to struggle with wondering why you're on this earth or what he has for you or flirting with or fully getting into bed with sin. What he intended for you was more than that. And John 10.10 10, Jesus says, the thief comes to kill and to destroy, but I, this is Jesus talking, I've come that you might have life and you might have it more abundantly than you can even imagine. I want to tell you a story, and maybe you've heard this story or maybe you know of this man, but there uh, was a man, he has passed away now, but his name was Steve Hill. 
And Steve Hill was an evangelist, but that's not how he started. And I want you to hear this story because maybe this is you, or maybe your heart breaks for those who are in this situation, in this level of sinfulness. And so Steve Hill tells the story uh, when he was in his early 20s after hardcore and intense drug abuse and then hardcore and intense drug binging. He ended up in his mother's basement and he could not stop convulsing and he knew that he was dying. And the way he describes it is that the room was full of darkness and evil. And he knew he was dying, his mother knew he was dying and he was wrapped in sin. His life had been all about sin and he'd been in trouble with the law. And and in this status of sin and knowing that he was dying in his mother's basement, he suffered like this for three days, convulsing, waiting for death to come because it would have actually been a relief. And it was after three days that a man showed up at the front door of his mother's house, and that man was a pastor. And so his mother led the pastor downstairs because she thought, maybe this man can help my son. And so that pastor came into the basement, and he met Steve, who really wasn't very responsive, but he said these words to him, I can't help you, Steve, but I know somebody who can, and his name is Jesus. And Steve says it this way. He says, tears that had been bottled up during 15 years of rebellion and hurt and bitterness suddenly began to flow like a river down my cheeks. The evil presence of death was still there. My body was racked with convulsions. My mind was clouded with confusion. But here was somebody offering hope. And so the pastor said, Jesus is your answer. And all you have to do is call on him. In fact, just say his name. And when the pastor said the name Jesus, Steve says it was like a light started to light up in the room, like there was a sense of hope that began to well up inside of him. And so in his state, lying on his bed, looking at the ceiling, having just been wishing for death, he said the name Jesus. And he said it weekly at first, and probably with a lot of uncertainty, Jesus. And then there was a a bit of warmth and peace that began to move, and a bit of the heaviness began to break off, and he said it again, Jesus. And then he said the name again, Jesus, and he said it again, Jesus. And soon he was calling on the name of Jesus and saying, Jesus, over and over and over. And all of the confusion and the fear left, and all of the peace came rushing in, and nobody had to tell him. What he had just done, he knew. He had called on the name of Jesus, and Jesus had come and rescued him and set him free. And that became his salvation point. And from there, he went on to become a missionary and then an evangelist and then a pastor, and he led thousands of people to the Lord. And many times, it was telling his own story until he passed away just a few years ago, having lived a life of completely knowing the power of God. There's power in the name of Jesus. And that's the lowest level, the, low, the level of sinfulness. And nobody has to stay there, and I hope nobody in this room does. Because if you call on the name of Jesus, you move from the level of sinfulness to level two. And level two is the level of salvation. Now, there's all kinds of places we can see this in the Bible, and we just heard it in the story of Steve Hill. But we can definitely see it in the progression of the life of Peter. And if you're not familiar, uh, we can read about Peter in the book of Luke. 
well, in all the Gospels, but I specifically want to point out Luke and Acts because both were written by Luke. And so Luke kind of gives us this picture of the transformation of this man. And so in Luke chapter 5, and I won't read all the scriptures, I'll just kind of paint the picture for you, but in Luke chapter 5, Jesus is teaching, and he's on, standing on the shore of the Sea of Galilee. And there are fishermen there because that's their occupation, and Peter was a fisherman by occupation. And he had just been out fishing and had not caught anything, and so the Bible tells us that he was washing his nets on the shore. And the crowd that wanted to hear Jesus had begun to press in. And so Jesus looks to Peter and says, hey, take me in the boat, take me out in the water so I can get a little space from these people. And so there in the water, he turns to Peter and he says, let down your nets. And Peter, you know, probably, of course, is thinking, I, I tried, trust me, I've been out here for hours. But instead, he obeys. And when he obeys, Scripture says when he put down the nets, they were so full of fish immediately, he couldn't even pull them up for fear of breaking the nets. That's how, how dramatically Jesus provided for him. But we see this man who has this dramatic encounter with Jesus, who then leaves his occupation, leaves the nets, leaves the boats, and he decides to follow Jesus. He's a little rough around the edges, and I think that's, that's okay. He's a little rough around the edges. He's just exiting this level of sinfulness. He's moving into this level of salvation. And the story of Peter is pretty cool because his response to Jesus, when Jesus says, pull up the, you know, put your nets out and then pull them up, is he falls on his knees and he says, Lord, please leave me. I'm unclean. And Jesus says, I'm going to make you a fisher of men. I'm going I'm to use you, Peter. And you read throughout Peter's life, you can see all the ways that Jesus began to use him and how Peter moved into this status of salvation. And if you've experienced this level of salvation, then Jesus has probably quite literally gotten into your boat. And I love that because that fits with collide too. Sometimes a collision with Jesus means he gets all up in your boat. <laughs> and he was all up in Peter's boat. Salvation is incredible, but many people think that's it. That's it. I pray a prayer. I thought that my whole life. I thought you pray a prayer. That's what keeps you from going to hell. It's my entrance into heaven, the end. I'm waiting to die. But actually, there's so much more for you. There's so much more of God to know, and there's so much opportunity for you to surrender your life, which of course is difficult sometimes. But I want you to hear me say, you have a purpose. And your purpose isn't just hoard what you have. This salvation experience, if you've experienced it, it's not just for you. You're called too to be fishers of men. And though that's a phrase that maybe is churchy and maybe doesn't have a lot of understanding for us, really it means we have a mission. We have a goal. Our job, like we read in Acts, is to go tell everybody about what we've experienced. And so we have the level of sinfulness and the level of salvation. And the next level is Level three, which is the level of saturation. Let's go back to the book of Acts because we see Peter again here. Now, Peter, in between where we just talked about him in Luke and where we find him in Acts, has grown. He's been alongside of Jesus. He's been a follower of Jesus. He's made a lot of mistakes. He's done a lot of impulsive things. But most notably, he's probably known for his betrayal of Jesus. And after having pledging to Jesus, I would never turn my back on you, he turns his back on Jesus and denies that he even knows him to a little girl sitting at a campfire. 
I mean, he really betrayed Jesus. But we see Peter again in the book of Acts. If you have your Bible open to Acts chapter 1, I want you to look at chapter, or verse 4. Again, this is Jesus talking to his followers, Peter being one of them. And he says, do not leave Jerusalem until the Father sends you the gift that he has promised you. You see John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. You're on a collision course with his power, Peter and John and James and all of these followers, and you tonight here are on a collision course with his power. And you have to understand, Jesus even speaking to this group of people is a miracle in and of itself. Because remember, they watched him die. And after he died, he raised from the grave. I haven't seen that. I don't know if you have, but I'm pretty sure that's still a pretty dramatic miracle by all accounts then and now. And so this group of people who are gathered around him have watched this man be tortured and be killed and be resurrected, and now they're probably thinking, whatever you say, I believe it. And he's telling them, you're on a collision course with my power, and he's preparing them for the next part of their mission, and their mission is going to be, don't keep this to yourself, you're going to spread it everywhere. Imagine being Peter. I mean, he's been through a lot these past few years. He's gone from being a fisherman. The Bible says he was unschooled and, and ordinary. He didn't have an education. He's not like the Bible scholars who can quote pieces of the scriptures. He's just a guy who just decides, I'm going to follow Jesus in all of my rough edges and all of my mistakes that I make. Does, isn't this encouraging to you and I? We don't have to have it all put together and have it all figured out. But when we determine that we will follow Jesus and we make mistakes like Peter did, who betrayed Jesus even to a little girl sitting at a campfire, Jesus still restores us. And that's the piece of the story that I love, is that Jesus had gone directly to Peter and restored him to himself and now is giving him this charge, Peter, get ready. More is coming. James, get ready. More is coming. John, get ready. More is coming. More than what you've had to this point. More than you can even understand. I have more for you. And so Peter and the disciples live in this state of constant expectation and anticipation because they're told to, but also because after what they've seen, they're probably not going to doubt what Jesus says. And so they're waiting. And I just want to say to you tonight, what if we came all the time into the presence of God with that kind of expectation and anticipation that there's more for us and that he desires to move and he desires to pour more into us? What if we came to church that way? What if we worship that way? What does it do to the atmosphere? What does it do in our hearts? It prepares is what it does. It prepares. And the thing is, if you expect nothing, you'll rarely be disappointed. Imagine Peter looking at John and saying, well, what's Jesus talking about? And John saying, I don't know. I don't even know what he's talking about. And imagine Peter looking at Matthew and saying, what do you think it will look like? And Matthew saying, I don't know. I've never seen it before. And then Peter looking at James and saying, how long do we have to wait? And James saying, I don't even know what we're waiting for. But with that kind of expectation, I want you to hear again Acts chapter 1, verse 8. With that expectation, remember they were told by Jesus, but you will receive power 
when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you will be my witnesses telling me, telling people about me everywhere. See, we can remain at the level of sinfulness and we can remain at the level of salvation and still go to heaven, still have a good life, but there's still more even past the level of saturation. And that's what they're waiting for. They're waiting for what's this level of saturation. And so we see it in what may be very familiar to you, but with those ears, with that heart of expectation, would you hear Acts chapter 2? And so on the day of Pentecost, all of the believers, all of this group of people who are waiting in anticipation were meeting together in one place, and suddenly there was a sound from heaven like the roaring of a mighty windstorm and it filled the house where they were sitting. And then what looked like flames or tongues of fire appeared and settled on each one of them. And everyone, everyone, everyone present was filled with the spirit of the living God. And they began to speak in other languages as the Holy Spirit gave them ability. Peter is with this group and they're anticipating the move of God, the move that Jesus has promised them, this outpouring of the Holy Spirit. They don't know what they're waiting for. They don't know what it's going to look like or feel like or sound like or be like. But they're waiting in anticipation, and it happened suddenly, and it was supernatural. And that's level four, the level of the supernatural. And this is where everything changes. This is where life goes beyond the natural, and it moves into the very unnatural or supernatural. This is the realm that goes beyond sickness and doctor's reports and financial issues and whatever it is that is broken or seems unfixable. And the Holy Spirit changed Peter. And he changed all of them, let's be honest. But I'm just using Peter tonight as the example. And he's not the same Peter that we know anymore. In fact, he stands up in front of a crowd of people and thousands turn to Christ because of his bold proclamation immediately on the heels of being filled by the Holy Spirit. And so there's one other story. And I want to I wanna end with this before we move into a time of prayer. And this happens in Acts chapter 3. Now, in Acts chapter 3, this new Peter, this new Peter is on the scene. And this new Peter, he's going to the temple, and he's going to pray. And and this is verses 1 through 10 or 11, and, and I'll just summarize them for you. But on the way to the temple to pray, he meets a crippled beggar. And the crippled beggar is begging for money, and that's why he's there. He's figuring that these good People who are going into prayer are going to give me a handout of some sort. And so while the crippled beggar is begging, Peter, who's graduated from the sinful level to the salvation level to the saturation level where he's been waiting in anticipation and then the Holy Spirit was poured out on him and he's filled to overflowing, is now about to move into the level of the supernatural. And so... Scripture says that he encounters this crippled beggar, and and Scripture tells us later that this guy was 40 years old, crippled since birth. Have you met anybody who has been crippled in some way, shape, or form for more than just a few years? You're talking like atrophied muscles. Uh, If they can't walk, usually the muscles in the legs have atrophied down to nothing. It's really just like skin on bones. And I'm not saying this to be dramatic about the story. I want you to understand a 40-year-old man who has been crippled since he was born is in a bad state. (laughs) And so Peter, 
filled with the Holy Spirit, moving in the level of the supernatural, encounters this crippled beggar, 40-year-old man, and this same guy who couldn't even admit he knew Jesus to a girl sitting at a campfire, now looks this guy straight in the eyes, this crippled beggar, and he says, look at me. And so the beggar, of course, is probably assuming he's going to get a handout, so he looks at Peter, and then Peter says, silver and gold I do not have, but what I have I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ, get up and walk. And he grabs the crippled beggar by the hand, and when he does that, he begins to help him to his feet. Okay, so this is a very unnatural experience. You don't just help someone who's been crippled since birth to their feet. Unless the supernatural is involved, unless the Holy Spirit is moving in and through you like it was for Peter. And so Peter grabs the man by his hands, and Scripture says the man's feet and ankles were instantly healed and strengthened. Atrophied muscles begin to grow and have strength. Bones that aren't straight straighten out. Joints that have never worked begin to work. Feet that have never held weight on them before suddenly can hold the weight of a 40-year-old man. And then Scripture says not only to begin to walk, but he began to leap and jump and praise the name of God because there was no doubt how this had just happened in his physical body. That is the level of the supernatural. And I want to say to you tonight, do you want more? Because if you want more, here's the thing, there's a collision coming your way and it's going to get in your lane and it's going to get in your space and it's going to probably not be quiet and it's going to get up in your boat, but it's going to make a difference that will mark you for the rest of your life. This is the level that we should be living at. This is what sets us apart. If you're a Christian in this room, so if you're new in this place, I'm, I'm not speaking to you right this second. I will again in a second. But if you're a Christian in this place, there is so much more than what you've been living at. There is so much more than what you've accepted as this is abundant life. There is so much more, and I don't mean that to frustrate you unless it's frustration that compels you to action. And that, I mean, I want you to be compelled to seek the Lord and say, if there's more of you to know, I want to know it. If there's more of you to have, I want to have it. If there's more of your love, I want it. If there's more of your grace and your healing and your forgiveness and your power, I want it. And it's not just for me. It's for them. It's not a selfish thing. It's great. God moving in this room, this is where we come and we get filled up. And that's what you're going to do in just a minute here. But you don't just keep it here. It's intended for you to share it everywhere. And I'm not saying this like this is just you. This is me too. If we are not doing something with it, hey, imagine a pond. You've seen a pond. Like stagnant, dead, gross, green slime water with mosquitoes over the top of it. A pond. That's what we become when we allow the Holy Spirit to fill us up and it doesn't come back out. It's stagnant. And maybe you're, maybe that's you. I I wasn't planning on saying that, but maybe you're, I'm full of green, stagnant, mosquito baby, gross slime. And you know what? Let's just call it what it is. And you say, Jesus, would you come rushing in like you did in Acts chapter 2, like a roaring wind? Would you pour out your spirit in a way that is fresh so that I have fresh you to give away to a world that is desperate to know a God who loves them?